Hello, book lovers. You're listening to Both Sides Book Club with Katie and Debbie Allen. Every two weeks we get together and chat about a different book. We can't promise you that we will always agree, but then there are at least two sides to every story. Why don't you read with us and join in the conversation? Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode four of Both Sides Book Club. Can you believe that we are on episode number four? It has gone so quickly. I know. It's so it's so exciting and so awesome. And the, the thing that makes me so excited is seeing all of you sending in your videos and photos of reading mm. along with us. And your comments. Yeah, exactly. When we see them, it, it gets us so excited. So thank yeah. you for joining the conversation and becoming part of the Both Sides Book Club community. It's awesome. So in this episode, we are discussing The Recovery of Rose Gold by Stephanie Robel. Um, I hope you liked it. The reason I selected this book, well, firstly, I absolutely love a psychological thriller. Don't we all? I know. As soon <laughs> as like a crime and a thriller and then throw in this psychological twist, I'm like hooked. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Um, also, I selected this book because it there's actually a, tr- a true story behind it. Um, there is a real life um, Rose Gold called Gypsy Rose and a real life Patty called Dee Dee. Yeah. Um, it's a true story. Uh, you know, this is loosely based on the true story. Yeah, which I actually didn't know oh, uh, yeah. until, until after um, you told me. Yeah, mm. and it is chilling. Like the true story is like, oh, it's so messed up. So I was so excited when I saw this book because it gave me a little bit extra, gave me another taste of of what I had already learned. So yeah. there's actually a television series based on the true um, based yeah on the true story um, called The Act. So I highly recommend you all to watch it if you've read the book and I haven't. It. I haven't watched it yet, but I will do. Yeah, I guarantee you will binge it. Um, so. For those of you that don't know the story, we, I'd like to do a little recap. Yeah. Um, so Rose Gold is the daughter and for 18 years of her life, she was incredibly sick. Um, she was in and out of hospital, in a wheelchair. With a feeding tube. Yeah, very, very sick. And, um, you know, members of her community, created fundraisers to help yeah. pay for her hospital bills and um, the whole community was really involved in trying to help mm. um, help Rose Gold with and her, her mum and her mum to get through the sickness. Mm. But no matter how many times she went to hospital and no matter how many doctors she had seen, um, nobody could quite figure out what exactly was wrong with her other mm. than her symptoms and that she was very sick. And it turns out that her mum, Patty, was just a very, very good liar and um, essentially poisoned her own child. Yeah, um, slowly, slowly and consistently over the years, adding um, a, a vomit-inducing drug into her food. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and mixed with... Uh, psychological abuse as well to convince her own daughter that she is sick. Um, so 
that's the backstory into the book. But the book actually opens up with Patty getting released from jail. And she's been put in jail because the truth came out about how she abused her child. And as she comes out, she has absolutely nowhere to turn to. So she turns to Rose and asks for her to be taken in. Um, and much to the community's surprise, Rose agrees and takes her in. But what we find out is that Rose Gold has been waiting a very long time for her mm. mother to get released so that she can seek her revenge. Um, so that's what's happening in the book. We see Rose Gold taking revenge. So what did you what did you think of the book? Did you like it? I didn't. Yeah, I did. I did enjoy. It. I mean, like you, um, you know, I'm a sucker for a good psychological. Um, thriller. Mm. Um, this was a real page turner. Mm. Um, I think, you know, what is it about psychiatric conditions, like particularly personality yeah. disorders, that that we all um, are so fascinated, yeah. fascinated by them. Yeah. Um, and certainly, when you told me that it was based on the true story uh. of of Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee Blanchard, um, then that added, you know, a whole other element to it yeah. for me. I mean, I think um, what I like most about the book was the fact that um, it didn't so much detail the actual abuse. It, it, it had the starting point as what came after. Yeah. So what happened to them after. In a way, it reminded me of um, Emma Donoghue's um, famous novel, The Room, the Room. you know, yeah. that they later made into a movie yeah. where um, um, a you've young got the before a, and then you've got the yeah, after. Where, where a young girl is abducted and kept in a very small room for five years. She has a son and and um, ultimately both of them escape. But the book is about well, how do you recover, recover. Um, yeah. w once you go back out into society? Mm. So for me, this was very much that kind of that kind mm. of book. Um, and I don't think it's very often that you do get books that talk about, um, or movies even, that talk about the after. I think yeah. so many, you see, read and hear so many stories where the build-up is all about what's happening, but it, you, you never get to unpack how, to, how you recover from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, any kind of victim of, of abuse, I mean, we see it in the papers all the time, um, uh, it tells the facts of the case, but mm. you don't... How do you recover? Mm. You know, which I guess is is goes back to the title of this book, which again I think is a really interesting choice: the recovery of Rose of Gold. Rose Gold. Mm. Um, for me, I found it really interesting the way that the story was written. How there were the two perspectives: you flicked between Rose's perspective or what was going on, and then Patty's perspective. Yeah. Um, what did you think about that? Did you enjoy reading the two different perspectives? I think it worked really, really well. Um, because both of the the narratives, both of the the narrators, Patty and Rose Gold, were completely unreliable. Yeah. So I know you, um, you didn't know who to trust. If indeed you trusted yeah. either, either of them, yeah. either of them. Yeah. And I think it worked really, really well to build the tension throughout the book, mm. um, going from different different perspectives because. You never quite knew what was what was going to come next. Mm. At the same time, though, I have to say, um, I think 
Patty's narrative was was the weaker of the two um, in that I felt um, that um, she we heard too many of her of her thoughts she was almost kind of like a um, a pantomime actor saying ha 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 um, now I'm thinking this or or um, little do does Rose know mm. um, but I'm going to do this next. Mm. Whereas I felt that Rose Gold's narrative seemed more natural, and we had we got more inside her head. What what do you, do you well, think of that? I agree, but I think like, do you think that um, that pantomime that like ha ha ha, this is what I'm doing next, is also the way that Patty is? Like that's how she's she's created this. Um, Oh, like rose gold, like she's very dramatic. Oh, my poor child, my my baby, like um, mm. you know, and she is kind of she is kind of like that. She's constantly justifying herself and going, "Oh, oh, oh," like a, a like overbearing, over-worrying. And I think you kind of see that maybe a little bit in how she's in how yeah, her voice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think maybe I think yeah, I think that's true. Um, but I guess I wanted more internal internal dialogue um as to her motivations rather rather than just an expression of a sort of a fairly superficial expression yeah no i agree because you you get caught between this um feeling like to begin with you get caught with um feeling sorry for for rose gold for everything that she's gone through and then you see this shift where you then start to feel sorry for Patty and I think that's because you start seeing Rose Gold's inner thoughts and I think that's what encourages you want to want to know what well what's Patty's inner thought like you feel like Patty's quite superficial with her inner yeah. thoughts yeah but in a way I actually think that that is a useful tool to not get too deep into her psychological thoughts as you're getting deeper into Rose's because like to begin with, you hate Patty. You hate you. Yeah. You know you can't stand her. Like how could you? How could you do this to your mm. child? And I think because she is superficial, you start to think, oh, well, maybe she's a bit. She's not all there, or like, you know, you start to question Patty's like what's going on in Patty's head. Like, and then I think because you don't know what's going on with her head, maybe you you seek more. You can empathize with her a little bit more because you can't here you kind of go oh does she have inner thoughts or is she just really that messed up yeah i mean i i know what i know what you're saying but i think you know in order it just didn't quite work for me because you know patty is clever i mean she has fooled the whole world for 18 years i know Um, so you know she she's had some experience of of working in a medical clinic um it doesn't add up does it it just doesn't for me just doesn't quite add up up that suddenly she is so gullible yeah um, I mean and it could be that that maybe she's so um, egocentric that she doesn't even consider yeah. the fact that that Rose Gold isn't still her her little yeah. little girl um, that mm. she, that Rose Gold may have changed I mean and that, that may be it is that Patty is incapable um, of seeing the difference in in Rose Gold or maybe I, I only just kind of occurred to me now, but maybe even the the effects that uh, prison has had on her as well, that maybe that has 
warped her psychological reality. It didn't a bit seem more. to me that, that prison had a huge effect on her at all. You've I mean she was boasting. You know, she was boasting about how she had, you know, she controlled the other prisoners and had the prison yeah. guards on side by playing the same sort of um, role that she had done all, all along. I mean, she's very credible. She's very believable. Yeah. Uh, you know. But it only that... just occurred to me now that maybe she was lying about that too. Maybe, maybe there was more. Yeah, well, maybe. Maybe more yeah. happened in prison that we don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. She... Did, did you find um, either of them, did you have empathy with either of them? Because I, I didn't, you know, I actually didn't like either of the characters. Um, I think my empathy, I, I did. I, yeah, I did. I, I had, it was like a bittersweet empathy, an empathy where I go, you know what, you guys are so messed up. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that, I, that I kind of felt sorry for them, that their, their really? realities were so like warped. Yeah. That I was like, oh, I kind of feel really bad for you guys. Like you, you just are so, you just are so far in your own imaginary world. Yeah. And so... I don't know. Yeah, I, I did. I felt I kind okay. of felt sorry for both of the characters, for yeah. both of their um, their different journeys, but then also as equally frustrated and like you guys are so messed up. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, that that Stephanie Rabel, the the author, um, was very clever um, in in the way she portrayed Rose Gold in that respect mm. because, as you said, um, right, the, right from the get-go, you know, we hate Patty. We know mm. what she's done and we think, oh, poor Rose Gold, this poor child is, um, um, you know, has, has ultimately had to go on the witness mm. stand um, and, and testify, testify against yes. against her mother. Her mother's now been sent to prison. Meanwhile, she's uh, only she just getting a grip of what her mum actually even did to her. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. she's left on her own. Yeah. You know, she's left to sort of, you know, that isn't a big team that swoops in and helps her mm. to adjust. Basically, she's left to cope um, uh, with all the ramifications yeah. and the and the, the after effects herself. So, um, so certainly at the beginning, yeah, you feel really, I mean, I did feel empathy for Rose Gold, um, but... But as the narrative yeah, goes on and you start to see Did what, you learn what, nothing what Rose, what Rose yeah. Gold has actually been doing during mm -hmm. that five years and then obviously then when Patty is released, yeah, you realise that Rose Gold is just as manipulative, yeah. that she lies mm. um, and that, you know, that really... And even the revenge, mm. um, you know, she really is not a very nice person at all. No. Um, I think for me in the story, and I want to ask you what you think, there's there's two main relationships, one of them being um, obviously Rose Gold and her mum, Patty, and yeah. then there's also quite a polar opposite relationship, which is Rose Gold and her father. Yeah. And on one hand, you've got the relationship with her mum, which is super claustrophobic, overbearing, overcaring, um, just yeah. in your face. And then you have her father's relationship, which is the complete opposite, which is withdrawn, mm. um, you know, abandonment, all of this. And, like, how do you think that 
one or how Rose Gold even manages to to navigate between the two and with her friend you know the so-called friends in the story as well do you think that they helped navigate sort of a a middle ground of where of what sort of relationships is normal no 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 and and no I think um I you know I don't think Rose Gold was able to to have any kind of normal relationship I mean Mm. the way that she she grew up she had no grounding in what is normal how to behave you know the um her mum homeschooled her Mm. um no friends so she had no friends she Mm. had no social contact other than visiting doctors and and nurses and so on in which case she was schooled Mm. by her mother how to how to behave and how to respond so she had no toolkit whatsoever Mm for beginning to to negotiate or to to find a way mm. into a normal normal relationship mm. um, and we see how you know she uses what skill she has got the manipulation mm. um, or what she's learned like, what she's learned is, yeah. is manipulation things, lying um, yeah. and um, you know and I think you you also have to question um, Certainly, the father and um, and why he chose to then approach Rose Gold. Um, yeah, I was uh, wondering that stage, about that too. I mean, don't you know what sort of belated sort of sense of guilt? Yeah. Um, you know, again, yeah that that was a that was a little bit strange. Or it could be that he genuinely did feel guilty, but then mm. quickly realised that he'd bitten off more than he could chew. Yeah, you know that Rose Gold's needs were so overwhelming that there's no way he could neatly slot her into extra daughter yeah. um, into into his life. I think as well, in like from an interesting perspective, psychologically with Rose is so much of her life as well people had felt sorry for her and felt like, oh, poor Rose Gold. Like the whole community had come together to fundraise for her and it had always been like, oh, poor Rose Gold, poor Rose Gold. So I wonder in a weird way if that makes you really egocentric because you're used to everybody like caring about you so much and feeling sorry for you. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, quite possibly, you know, there was... Uh, that relationship between Patty and Rose was was you know was symbiotic mm. in that Rose knew learnt how to get a sympathetic response from yeah. from from her mother mm. in just the same way that that um, Patty was mm. uh, manipulated mm. manipulated her um, so you know quite possibly. Rose viewed other people in in that kind of way and the feeling that yes she was special and then of course she found out that she wasn't you know the two yeah. I mean the other two main relationships I think uh, were her friend Alex who um, obviously wasn't a friend at all was using Rose to yeah. um you know, to sort of jump on 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 the notoriety, the famous the charity case. charity, yeah. you know, bandwagon, yeah. um, and the relationship um, with the guy that she met online, yeah. which um, obviously was completely fake. Yeah, you know, he was a middle aged man, um, not 
you know, so that was, there was no truth whatsoever in that relationship. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, the people that Rose chose to have, a, have begin to have relationships mm with you know it, it was a no hoper really from from the start and she responded badly yeah yeah absolutely yeah I don't know I just felt I felt really <laughs> she was just so messed up <laughs> so um obviously we know from um from um the Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose Blanchard case um that uh, Dee Dee was or suffering from a, um, a psychological personality yeah. disorder called um, Munchausen by proxy syndrome. Um, we, it got us thinking and we were really, really interested to find out more about this illness. Mm. I mean, like how often does it occur? Um, mm. So um, we thought that we'd call a friend. So... <laughs> So in a moment, we're going to be talking to um, a clinical psychologist um, and asking her a few questions from a professional um, perspective mm. about this syndrome um, so that we have a better understanding and that we can give you guys some answers too. Hi, Judy. How are you? Hi, Katie. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to our episode at Both Sides Book Club. We're so, so excited to have you here with us. You're welcome. Um, to get started, we thought maybe could you introduce yourself a little bit and also um, tell all of our listeners what you do for a job. Um, and okay. Yeah, we'll start there. Okay, yep. So I am Judy Robinson, that's my name. And I am a clinical psychologist and uh, I've been in private practice around the Gold Coast, Northern Rivers region for about, not very long, about 27 years or so. Oh, you're a beginner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ready for a rest. <laughs> so um, as we've spoken a little bit, we wanted you to come onto the episode and um talk a little bit with us because the common theme in this book is Munchausen by a proxy um, and mm -hmm. we felt like it was something we didn't know much about and wanted to delve a little bit more um, into understanding basically all all what encompasses it um, and also mm -hmm. to let our readers know. Um, yeah because I think I think there's kind of almost like a pop psychology about Munchausen by proxy syndrome that um, you know it's something that pops up from now and again and 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 people are always fascinated by it um, so um, we would value your your professional opinion to to actually give us some facts about about the, the syndrome from a psychologist's perspective so um, to start off with, we thought maybe um, could you talk a little bit about what Munchausen by proxy actually is? Okay. Yes, I think um, you're right. It has kind of got a, a name out there. It's kind of got this um, elusiveness to it and people are really curious about it because it's, um, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of frightening mm. and and quite um, hard to comprehend that someone would behave in that way. And I think the, 
The name Munchausen by proxy originally was coined in 1977 to describe uh, what was more like a medical abuse of children and um, it has been renamed in 2013 and has been renamed according to a psychiatric psychological diagnosis in the DSM-5. And the name for Munchausen by proxy now is factitious disorder imposed on another. So it's right. not kind of a, not such a sexy name, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's kind of trying to actually define that this is actually a, a serious, you know, significant mental health disorder yeah. and we need to view it as such and that, it, that there is a treatment protocol that we can use to approach this. Um, but I guess because it has that also that, that other side, which is the outcome and the consequence of mm. this disorder is significant in that, um, you know, it is, it's like the fabrication and inducement of medical and psychological symptoms mm. in children. And that is dangerous and sometimes even deadly sadly. Mm. Mm. How, how common is it? I mean, how, how and why does it present itself? Mm -hmm. So um, it's not very common, and I'm, I guess um, the the understanding is that it's probably not being noticed. It's being kind of underreported. Mm -hmm. um, but in Australia, the only statistics that I've actually come up with, because I'm not an expert, I did have a little look at this, um, was that in I think it was 2005, the the estimate was between 15 and 24 cases per annum per year in Australia being reported um, and in the States they are estimating around 1% of people presenting to hospitals are really presenting with some kind of factitious disorder. So that's so actually quite significant. But, is it, but it's still quite significant. Still significant, exactly. Yeah. Are there varying, right. varying degrees of it? I mean, in the book it, it's, it's presented as quite an extreme case, but, um, mm. yeah, are there varying degrees of it? Uh, it's difficult to diagnose and um, the uh, varying degrees really only exist between the fabrication and the inducement because I guess fabrication in some ways could be perceived as less dangerous than inducement and mm. in fact, you know, I guess there's, there's no inducement is where they're actually, you know, perhaps poisoning a child systematically um, or suffocating children. Whereas the, the fabrication is really just to have contact with, with medical professionals. Um, the, where the, the difficulty with diagnosing is that we also have a significant proportion of parents who actually are, are anxious about their children's health. Yeah. And so, you know, it's controversial in that sense. And, you know, paediatricians in particular and GPs and hospital um, health practitioners are really trying to tease out the difference between those because... Because of you know, it has been misused. That Munchausen mm. by proxy syndrome name has been misused, and accusations have been made inappropriately. So, um, so yeah, the, 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 so that's how it's presenting is usually to GP practices, pediatricians' offices, um, hospital emergency departments. Um, so occasionally, psychologists' office, but. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess the, the thing about the, the fabrication is that these people are very deceptive. So they'll, yeah. if, if, if there's any slight hint they're going to be noticed, they'll change practitioners 
Yeah. So that, yeah, and we saw that we saw that certainly in the novel um, is yeah. that is that the mother Patty skipped from doctor to doctor to 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 doctor, and I think in the real life case on which this story is loosely based, um, I was reading that um, the mother. Um, said that the all the medical records had been lost in in um, um, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans mm. where they'd been living so um, they mm. moved state and and so no records could could mm. actually be be found mm. Mm. Um, mm. I'm interested to know um, you know how you were differentiating the the um, the difference between um, how am I going to wear this? I think like when I was doing a bit of research on it, I saw that mm -hmm. that misconception between hypochondria and also mm -hmm. the the syndrome. And I thought maybe could you explain to us a little bit about the difference between between the two? Yeah. Okay. So hypochondria is is a is an anxiety, you know, and it's a natural to some extent anxiety, particularly when we suffer significant health issues. Um, you know, and whereas this um, diagnosis of factitious disorder is an intentional fabrication. Right. So it it's really comes from a different um, psychological functioning. The psychological functioning around the fabrication or the inducement is usually um, coming from some kind of personality disorder. Um, mm. There's a, there's a, often a history of often intergenerational trauma and uh, difficult parent-child relationships. If you trace back, you know, the, the, the person who suffers from the disorder might have had something occur in their own family and that might have occurred systematically across the generations, yeah. in fact. Um, and, and there's also a genetic component um, oh, that's been, hmm. yeah, likely identified that's that's related to this particular disorder. Wow, that's, that's different from somebody yeah. who's suffering from, say, hypochondria or anxiety. Yeah. yeah. So, what is the um, so if, if if somebody does have factitious um, disorder um, and is creating um, is abusing their child in this way, what what is the point of it? It presumably it's not it's not to harm the child. Um, so is there some sort of, of attention-seeking or w what is the motivation um, yeah. behind it? Yeah, I think um, the general consensus is that it's something about attention that you just pointed to, Deb. Yeah. You know, I think that, uh, that that's seeking nurturing and seeking nurturing particularly from health practitioners. And there's a very specific kind right. of nurturing from a specific kind of status um, and often these people are, are highly educated and actually yeah. know medi medicine back to front themselves and have studied and, and you know, kind of find a way to interact at, at that level, which is um, very unique to, to how they present, which is also different to someone who's anxious, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so the, the why is, is still an unknown. You know, it's a mystery, just like the human mm. mind is still a mystery to most of us. Mm. Um, but there is some some general consensus that it's around that need that nurturing, seeking nurturing, right. seeking contact, seeking attention. Um, quite mm. generally, it gets put in the category of um, a parent-child relationship. But can you also have 
um, fictitious disorder with, say, a sibling or a, spou a spouse or somebody else, or is it only specific to a, a child? Well, I think that's why they opened it up to imposed on another because, yes, generally yeah. it's a caregiver and a child. Yeah. Um, but I guess the, the possibility is that, that this occurs in other ways, in other kinds of relationships, and there's definitely some interest in that. I don't know that I haven't seen the yeah. evidence or the research on it, but yeah. I think that's yeah. for sure, Katie. I think it's a good yeah. point. Because yeah. I can imagine yeah. then, seeing it with, like, grand grandparents or, or, or reversed as well, say, if your parent was... Mm -hmm starting to get mm. sick and on their way out I could see oh gosh now I sound like <laughs> don't get ideas no 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 but, but I can see no, no, no I would never oh, you can't even say it yuck no, no not yuck oh no I'm sounding discriminatory no we can't even say that oh I'm getting flustered <laughs> it is fascinating isn't it no yeah. but I can see how if, if it can be categorised to a broader spectrum, I can see how that that yeah. could that yeah. could happen, right? Yes, yes. It's, and, and but what happens, of course, is grandparents aren't necessarily having as much access to children. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, and and if, if if say one of our if our partner was in trying to impose it on us, we we're we're grown up enough and mature enough and sensible enough to stand our ground. So. So it's just that I guess children are vulnerable to caregivers and that's yeah. where the power dynamic comes into play. Yeah. And it seems that um, often, um, or certainly from what I've been reading, that um, um, it occurs in, in family situations where often there is only the parent, usually the mother and, and the child, possibly siblings, but, it, but it's, it's not normally what we would consider to be a fully rounded family with multiple adult members that there's often kind of like a one-on-one -on -one sort of relationship is would you agree with that yeah I guess I don't know enough about it. that's definitely the stereotype yeah well yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Um, but I don't know that the research is really okay we have enough yeah. research to actually validate that okay um, yeah. and you know I guess the other thing we're seeing more and more of these days is this kind of internet-based factitious disorder where people are kind of um, putting on social media yeah. that yeah. they might have a particular something or other or that their child has particular something or other. And so so this has kind of lived through the internet, these kinds of... Wow, that's a really good point. Because mm. you definitely yes. see that a lot, writing mm. in. And other kinds of deceptions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Often, often for pecuniary reasons that you know mm. that they're, they're they're trying to fundraise and and so then what yeah. would constitute it to to like for example, say a mother or a father was writing in on Facebook about um you know what would then constitute that then to be placed as a disorder or the or part of the syndrome? Is it disorder or syndrome? Well, the the this is why they changed the terminology. Okay. Um, Munchausen by proxy was called a, was a, called a syndrome yeah. and it was just like a, a make-up thing by uh, a professor, Roy mm. Meadows, actually in 1977 and it was really, that, that's why it's been renamed because mm. it, it's a serious disorder but it had, had this flavour of something that could be used as a way of blaming parents for, mm. for being bad parents. Mm. Okay. Mm. Or, you know, so then, so then, things that weren't necessarily their fault. Yeah, yeah. So then what does constitute it to be placed then as um fact, fictitious disorder so like you know you've got the people that are like where's the line basically where you would start yeah as a so, so the line is that it, 
Yeah, so the, in the DSM-5, there's certain criteria that have to be met to reach the diagnosis. Okay. And, and those criteria um, then place that person within the, mm. the categorization of the diagnosis. Mm. And then mm. it's treated as a disorder. Yeah, you mentioned um, you mentioned very briefly earlier that there is a a, a, a treatment protocol um, mm. that, that um, professionals would normally follow. What interested me about this novel was that neither um, Patty, who's the mother who goes to prison, or or um, the Rose Gold. Rose Gold, the daughter, seem to have any kind of mental health plan or counselling. Um, um, and so on, which I found quite astonishing. How, do you think that that's realistic? I mean, would that happen in Australia? I mean, can you comment on that? Yes, I think that's realistic. I think that's part of the subterfuge, mm. you know, is that, um, that there's a, an avoidance of yeah. seeking treatment. Yeah. Um, and even in Australia, it, it, uh, usually it's identified by medical practitioners, paediatricians, GPs, hospital right. staff. Um, and it seems currently, and this hopefully will start to change, but currently it's it's seen as a child protection issue. Right. And it's okay. not necessarily seen as, okay, so this person has some, some mental health issue that requires treatment. Yeah. Because it's also the treatment is difficult to offer to somebody who actually denies that they have a problem. Okay, so the so the treatment can't in fact be enforced on someone. They have to they have to seek it. So what yeah. what would I mean? Can you explain a little bit about what the treatment would be? So say for example, a case that um, uh, they it gets determined that the caregiver has this disorder. Um, the child now is in diagnosis being in a threat. So what 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 are the steps? What happens if it's taken into? Um, the hospital professional world. So if somebody is being treated for the factitious disorder mm. imposed on another... Um, That's a mouthful, isn't it? That's what Munchausen by proxy is Then, um, yeah, I, I assume that know that, that that would be based on an assessment of mm. what they're willing to participate in um there, there'd probably be some kind of a cognitive behavioral therapy program yeah. that would be tailored to that individual um that would support them po probably trauma informed because of the likelihood of there being trauma yeah and possibly also informed by other therapies that are used to treat personality disorders mm. so there'd be a specific program of treatment tailored to that individual mm. How likely is it that if it goes undiagnosed, that then the child would also carry? You mentioned that it, it, there's elements of a genetic trait, but how how likely is it that that child would then um, impose similar behavioural um, methods or behaving the same behaving in the same, same way? Because you sort of see that mm. a little bit with um, Rose Gold mm. in the novel that. Um, she, the way she justifies things. She's uh, vindictive. She's vindictive. She lies. She she's a master manipulator, and ultimately yeah. is you know is very is very vengeful. But in um, a way, in a way of coping, like it seems in the novel that that's just the way that she knows. That's her reality. That's how she knows to get what she wants. Mm -hmm. So how likely yeah. is that 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 would happen? Yeah, I guess. Um, 
we we do know that it's possible to live with a parent with a mental illness and not develop a mental illness. Mm. That's for sure. And and I can't quote the statistics on it, yeah. but it's, it's yeah. possible to not develop a mental illness and be raised by a parent with one. But um, you know, I guess we're also aware of the role of um, you know modelling that parents provide in terms of coping mm. strategies. And so, yeah, she certainly has an increased chance, increased risk of developing something similar, certainly some kind of disorder herself, mm. um, rose gold. Yeah. Um, and I understand her mum also had a history of trauma. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and losses. And so, yes. you know, again, there's that intergenerational pattern starting to unfold. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. Well, I feel like that, that's helped us quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yes, I mean, uh, um, interesting, isn't it? It's an it, interesting topic. It, it, it's a really, really interesting topic, and there's and there yeah. seem to be so many grey areas in it, which I guess mm. you know is mm. why mm. why it yes. is so difficult to to diagnose. Um, so um, yeah. Um, so thank you for coming and, and answering some of our questions. I hope it was helpful. Oh, it was ah. extreme. No, it was yeah. extremely helpful. So um, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun <laughs> yeah, to be in that little space with you. It's <laughs> <laughs> really great. All right. Um, well, we will we'll speak to you very soon. Thanks, right. Judy. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Wow, that was a really great chat. That was so interesting. Yeah, and yeah. really um, educational too. There were a lot of things that I wasn't aware of. Like I. I I think it's so hard to quantify and to um, diagnose. So many grey areas. Yeah, which, yes. which I didn't anticipate. I thought it would kind of be black and white, but when yeah. she was talking about it, the more I, the more I realised I, I can actually understand how it would be difficult to to diagnose and to dif and why there are grey areas. Yes, yes. And I guess if someone doesn't want to be treated, then there isn't there isn't actually any method by which you can you can force someone to, yeah. to undergo and, treatment and why why would they want to get treated if they think that they're acting in the best interest of their yeah the person they're caring yeah. for yeah there's no so acknowledgement yes it's, it's kind of um it's a bit of a can of worms yeah really totally which... totally and I, and I, but i think it does put the book into a, you know a slightly a different, a different fr yeah a different a, framework a different a, yeah, dif yeah definitely and gave yeah. me a, a different perspective on patty and rose gold as well i mean i was yeah i was thinking about about rose gold because at the end of the book um i i didn't feel sorry for her but i felt sorrow for her if if mm. if there's a there's a differentiation between that um because you know even though she seemingly um does things like you know she uh, with her with her broken teeth she she determines to to love her teeth and she shaves her head you know almost as though she is accepting this new person that she has has become i really felt that she hadn't become a new person mm. that you know that she was doomed to having an equally damaged and, and unfulfilled and unsuccessful life and I felt sorrow for her because mm. of that. How did you feel? Oh, I, I, I completely agree. And I think um, to begin with, when I first read the book, I, I felt 
Um, I felt sorry for her that she wasn't able to understand completely what has happened. And I think talking um, with Judy just now, that's confirmed it in my mind that it's 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 sad in such a complex way because you see this small development of her recovery but yet she's had so much trauma um that she hasn't really recovered she she's vengeful you know and she's the only mechanisms or survival mechanisms that she's learned have been of what her of of from, passed down from her mum. Yeah. And that just makes me really sad because, you know, revenge isn't a solution. Mm. Mm. But kind of what Judy said before is you can't, it can't, um, if somebody doesn't recognise that they've, you that, know. That, that, they, that they have a, a, a mental illness. Then there's then, no reason why she would recover no. because she's not, She's yeah. only aware of the abuse that she's received, not necessarily aware of the abuse that she's created. Well, what an awesome episode. Um, I feel like I have learned so much and really gotten a lot more out of the book. And great book choice, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So it's that time of the episode. Drum roll, please. New, new book is... Below Deck by Sophie Hardcastle. So this one is, it's my turn. Oh, finally. <laughs> finally, it's my finally turn. Finally your turn. So um, my pick for our next read is Below Deck by Sophie Hardcastle. Uh, Sophie is an Australian author and this is her first adult fiction book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set in Sydney and um, it's the story of Olivia, who's a 21-year-old student who is a little bit lonely and um, estranged from her parents. She's befriended by an older couple who introduce her to sailing and the sea. Yeah, cool. Um, Cut four years into the future and Olivia is doing a delivery of a yacht from Newmere to Auckland. She's the only girl in an all-man crew and something dreadful happens. Um, And spoiler alert, I'm not going to tell you, but... But the book is about sexual violence and consent um, and how how we we think about that and how we deal with that. And um, I hope you enjoy it. Wow, I'm excited. Sounds good. All right, well, happy reading and we'll see you soon. Bye. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find us on Instagram at bothsides.bookclub. We'll see you soon.